Welcome to Real Life Podcast Conversations from Life Foursquare. We invite you to dive deeper into the more difficult topics of faith. Have you struggled to find understanding in biblical topics not often taught from the pulpit? We may not have all the answers, but we're committed to the ongoing conversations as we search God's Word together. Mark and Lynn Cooper, we are local pastors and we are your hosts. This show is our attempt at answering questions in greater depth than a sermon would allow. We look forward to the dialogue and conversations your questions will bring. You can email us at reallife at visitlife.org. This podcast will cover many biblical topics, some fun, some serious, and some will simply pique your interest. Sponsored by Life Foursquare Church, produced by our media team here at Life Foursquare. And we will jump in today at week two as we are discussing the topic of repentance and what does it mean to walk in repentance versus the act of asking for forgiveness. And we entered that last week and we're going to continue the conversation today. Yeah, we really started with the question of is is forgiveness and repentance, are they the same thing? Are they comparable? Is saying sorry the same kind of thing as repenting. And we really came to the place where repentance is much larger than that and, and far more specific than that. And it also carries with it some behaviors, some actions. Um, as you know, a lot of times in life, the you know, there's that old adage that what you believe is what you do. And, and if you don't believe it, you don't do it. And so Repentance has some to do with that. I think that a good place for us to start digging into this topic or issue, this thought of what is repentance, is in Psalm 51. And so, Lynn, I'm going to give a little background to Psalm 51. Jump in whenever you're ready or wanting to. But Psalm 51 is a psalm written by David. It, it It's a psalm really about some serious problems he had. He was involved in an affair. He That affair led to murder. It, there was a child involved in it. And all of this takes place, and David's response, well aware of of the sin, but his response is to hide it. And um, one day the prophet of God, Nathan, comes to him and reveals it, and then David has a response. That response is a response of repentance. And so through this chapter, uh, Psalm 51, we see a really good picture of re- what repentance actually looks like in someone's life. You know, a lot of times we deal with sin, we know it's there, but we can't really identify it or we're unwilling to identify it. I think it's important to recognize that David was classified uh, by the Lord as as a man after God's own heart. And that didn't become what was said about him at the end of his life when he maybe was more mature and looked more like the Lord. No, it was said about him that he was a man after God's own heart. Yet what you just described was a man that you know, saw a woman bathing and wanted to be with her. She was a married woman and and they had an affair. She you know, ended up pregnant, and and literally, what happened is her husband came home and ended up going back out to war, and and on the front line is where David asked uh, for him to be sent so he could be killed. And so you see this 
this man who had a heart after God fall into the trap of sin as we all do fall into the trap of sin. Sin trips you up. Sin can blind you and deafen your ear to what the Lord is saying. And yet we see his response or better yet his prayer to the Lord in a response of recognizing this sin and and walking in repentance. Now, it took a while for him to see a sin, and I think that's where many of us find ourselves. Yeah. The the uh, and there's something very interesting about the identification there. Right? So Nathan shares with David a story, and that story isn't about David. It's about a a rich guy and a poor guy. And and the poor guy has one little lamb that he loves so much. And the rich guy takes the poor man's lamb, sacrifices it and feeds it to his friends. And, and the question posed to David is what should happen to this rich guy who, instead of killing his own lambs, killed the one lamb of this poor guy. Well, he's going to die is what David said. That man is a dead man. And Nathan pointed his finger at David and said, well, that's you, buddy. Okay. So listen, I feel like this and, and not to simplify this too much. Lynn, Lynn has told me recently that I get a little too, um, a little too weird that it's not really understandable, but have you ever played Uno? Lynn, you've played Uno. We've mm-hmm. played Uno. And in the deck of Uno, in the, in, the, in the deck of cards that you play Uno with, there's a couple different cards, like a pick four card and a reverse card and a skip a turn card. Repentance is like that reverse card where someone maybe lays you know, a, a really bad card on your turn. You have to draw four, you have to draw yellow and keep drawing until you get a yellow. But if you have that reverse card, then it eliminates, the. it changes the direction, the course of that really negative thing. God has built into his plan a reverse card for us. And that reverse card is called repentance. It literally changes the course of our heart and the course of our life. And so David's told a story about a guy who did something really horrible and it resulted in the death of a loved animal, but it was shown to be him. He took a man's wife for himself as king, could have had any woman he wanted, took a man's wife and then killed the man. And when David comes to that that recognition that that's what he did, See, he knew he did that. He knew, I mean, he did it. He knew he did it, but he never saw it that way. And so that definition of sin, that recognition of sin is that first step. Right. And I, I would pause for a moment and reflect on the Nathans in your life. Do you have a Nathan in your life that could come to you and, and make such a statement? Do you have people that you would listen to or... Is it a possibility that every Nathan the Lord has sent you, you have rejected because of an unwillingness to see sin in your life? You now don't have anyone that that could help communicate um, what's happening. So and and I think the, the concern there is it, it will shortly become this, that only God could bring correction to your life. And let me tell you, that is a... Uh, what I believe to not only be a scary place, but an unbiblical place. The Lord uses the body of Christ to grow us. That is his intention and plan for we are not singularly in relationship with him. 
we are in a personal and corporate relationship with the Lord. And and when we can't be addressed by those the Lord has placed in our life, then we are putting ourselves in a position to be, in essence, ineffective for the kingdom. And and there are many reasons why I think that this happens. I mean, you just spoke of um, the reverse card, and I would just suggest that that asking for forgiveness isn't that same reversal process. Asking for forgiveness is recognizing there is sin and beginning the process of repentance, but it in no way is the same work of what the Lord is wanting to do in your life. Yeah, if you were to think of of repentance as the whole cake or the Mm -hmm. whole pie. A journey. It it truly is a journey. It's not one prayer or one moment. It's a journey. So if if repentance is the whole journey, then then like the first stop is this coming to this place of forgiveness, right? So Nathan says to David, that guy is you. And what does David do? He falls to the ground. Now think about poor Nathan. And you brought up a really huge point that I don't know that we, I mean, we could spend this whole podcast on this one point of, do you have Nathans in your life? Nathan is just a man of God. He, he He's a prophet and he's going to Israel's greatest king. There's, I know Solomon was awesome and cool and did and brought Israel to a place of prosperity that was its pinnacle, but but Israel identifies David as as pre messianic. He is <clears throat> the the image of the coming Messiah, and so David was their best king, the biggest king, the biggest deal. Nathan, just some dude, goes to David and literally calls him out. I mean. David's response could have been, you're a dead man. I've been hiding this and I'm going to keep hiding it. And you're, you're, Nathan knew that, but Nathan was still willing to do that. And that relationship, we see this interaction between Nathan and David pretty consistently uh, through first Kings. We see it in the story of David pretty consistently. And so you have to have people in your life that are willing to speak. They're willing to risk a breach in relationship. That's one of the things that we see so often today is no one's willing to risk you being mad at me. Right. To, to speak truth to you. And why would I speak truth to you? Because I love you. Nathan certainly loved David. And and part of it was his great love for David that he went to him and was willing to be obedient to the Lord. We, we know this. Right. Are we willing to have people in our life in that same way? And even are we willing to be that for some people? Right. Are we willing to even risk the rejection and loss of relationship because our love and care for people is greater. And I think that that is is truly a a story of of reflection that we all have to ask ourselves. Can I hear that from people? And would I be willing to risk it for those that I love to help them see what we are often blind to? We, We communicated earlier that sin blinds you. And if I'm unable to see the sin in my life, I'm I'm unable to address it because it's going to deafen my ear to the Lord. It's going to the in, and the enemy is working super hard for me not to see that sin because that's what the enemy wants. You, you see this pictured all the way. It it, it is a re- reoccurring picture in Scripture all the way back to the very first sin, Adam and Eve's response to sin and the awareness of sin was to hide. 
Mm-hmm. They became afraid. And so that's what sin does. It always so, brings... David right. was hiding this sin because of the fear. So let's connect that hidden nature. That hidden nature is shame, right? And and I I this is not a, a biblical thing that I could prove with a scripture, but I believe more frequently than not, we are far more comfortable than living with shame than we are to live with the, the, the freedom that comes with repentance. It's far more comfortable to have shame because, number one, I feel like that's what I deserve yeah. because of what I did. But secondly, and, and this is a trap in itself, and I think this is how we can see in Scripture other things grow, is that shame produces this this injustice that I feel like I should defend. And you become a little bit defensive then of of things in your life, and it makes you unable to hear the Nathans that want to come and speak to you. It does. You, you, if you're living in shame, you're unworthy of love. And so when someone approaches you with truth and love, you reject, you reject it because you don't believe the love, right? So the defensiveness is the response. Mm-hmm. We see in this story, this picture of repentance that David, once that sin was identified, once he was identified as the culprit or the purveyor of that sin, then his response was to appeal to the mercy of God. He he fell to his knees. He he began to weep and mourn. He begged forgiveness. Forgiveness was that secondary that like we said that first stop along the way. If if repentance is a journey, forgiveness is one of those first stops. So this is what happens. He appeals to the mercy of God, understanding who he is. A lot of times when we deal with repentance, Again, you brought up something very key. Shame plays a big part in sin. And so we repent, but we never recover. We never recover from sin. I'll carry this sin for the rest of my life. I, it becomes part of who I am. Yes. You can't, re- you, you can't grow out of it. You can't recover from it. And so even though we may have walked through the first step of forgiveness— Mm-hmm. We still continue to carry the shame of Correct. It. And we have to be able to identify the difference between guilt and conviction, which means I, I recognize the prompting of the Holy Spirit that I, I misstepped, that this is sin in my life versus guilt that would come from the enemy. And shame is, is, is something I think creeping in and really grabs hold before we could really even recognize it's it's truly there. If you look at Christ's first miracle, it was a miracle that addressed shame. And and yet let's let's go ahead and and communicate this. Christ didn't just die for your sin, he died for your shame. He died for for the shame of that sin that we we self-propose, you know, put on ourselves. And so Christ, we know at at the wedding party, his mom tells the servants, you know, he says, she says to Jesus, hey, they're out of wine, which is a huge embarrassment. It would have been a very shameful thing. Mm -hmm. We maybe don't think of it that way now in today's world, like, ah, too bad there's water over there. But, but it would be very shameful to have a wedding party and run out of wine. And, and she asked Jesus to do that, and Jesus kind of s- says, woman, 
my time's not the time. And her response wasn't even to Jesus, but to the servants to say, whatever he says to do, do it. And what's awesome about this is that Jesus, I think more than about the wine, was addressing the shame. And so of all the miracles that Christ did, his very first miracle covered shame. Mm, that's good. It reversed that shame. And it so it tells you that he doesn't desire for sin to bring shame and guilt or condemnation to your life. That's not it literally is reversed. And so then all the byproduct of it is reversed as well. So we see that conviction works in our life as as an identifier. It's a process mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit works in us to identify things that are outside the will of God, things that are not glorifying God. The Bible says that man's primary purpose is to glorify God. And so when in our life, when things happen in our life through our own actions or whatever that don't glorify God, the Holy Spirit's going to show us those things. That's conviction. It doesn't speak of your value. It doesn't speak of who you are, your worth. It doesn't speak of your righteousness. Conviction isn't about who you are. It's about what you did. However, guilt speaks directly to who you are. See, guilt wants to say, oh, it doesn't matter what you did. You did it because you're broke. You did it because you're bad. You did it because you're not lovable. You did it because of this or that, right? And so guilt It also speaks, leads us to justify what we did. Sure, because I don't want to be broke and I don't right. want to be unlovable. And so guess what? I'm going to find some external reason or someone else to blame or mm-hmm. whatever because I can't be that. I can't be unlovable. I can't be worthless. I can't be eternally broke. And so we do justify that. But just to clarify yeah. that that conviction is common. I tell people all the time, one of the most frequent ways you will hear the Lord in your life is through conviction. And so conviction always speaks of, of an uh, of something that needs to shift a little to glorify God, something that's not glorifying God in your life that needs to, and it's typically behavioral or action-based. Guilt will always speak of your quality. It'll always it'll always seek to identify you, and it's it's always negative. And and so God doesn't use guilt; He doesn't use it. Guilt is a tactic of the enemy. However, God uses conviction frequently because he loves his children. And so even as we encounter sin or temptation, the conviction of the Lord is guiding us through that, right? right? We we sometimes blend some theology here. We all could probably, if, if you've grown up in church, if you've spent any amount of time in church or wanna, you've heard the, the scripture that, um, you know, the, the price of sin is death. And sometimes we we equate the fact that I've asked Jesus into my heart that we've removed the death that sin brings. And, and I think that that's a lie of the enemy. I am a child of God, but sin, unaddressed sin, unrepented sin can lead to death. Now, that death may not be one that removes me from being in heaven with Jesus, but it will certainly bring a death and a destruction to my life and to those around me in my life. It will, if it doesn't kill me physically, it can produce destruction all around me. And so we have to be very aware that Christ doesn't want sin in our life because 
it will lead to death. It will kill us. It will hurt and harm us. And he's wanting to grow us and to make sure that those things are removed from our life. That's very good. So we see in Psalm 51 that David identifies and defines the sin. There's nothing worse than someone saying sorry and not knowing why they're sorry. David identifies and defines the sin. He appeals to God's mercy. He avoids being defensive like we talked about, right? If guilt is speaking to me about who I am and I can't be that, then I'm going to find someone. It's Bathsheba's fault. She shouldn't have been bathing naked on a roof, right? There's nothing worse than a blamer. Can we just pause and say, if you're a blamer, stop it. Nobody likes being in a relationship with a blamer, that it's always everyone else and not you. That's just the worst. A lot of, okay. So since we paused, let me just say this. First off, I just personally, I'm being open with you guys. You're listening to this podcast. I'm going to be real with you for a second. I typically hear everything as accusation. I, I, when someone, you know, if, if you are a blamer, it's probably because there's something in your thought life about how you see yourself that is not lining up with the Word of God. It's not lining up with the truth of who God has said you to you are. We have to see God in a right way if we're ever going to see ourselves in a right way. People who blame, like like you know, we have we have three kids, and and every once in a while we'll come downstairs in the morning, and it's a wreck, or someone left the jelly or the peanut butter out or something. Out. It's never and, them. And, or the best. This is the best example. You know, you have like four open pop cans Ugh. that none they have had one sip out of them. Who who whose pop can is this? Oh, it's not me. It wasn't me. I didn't I do know. it. I didn't do we, it. We have like no made the pact, it. though, and determined that as soon as our kids have their own place, we're going to go to their house. We're going to go to their house and open like open five pops so and just leave them there. Root beers. Not even drink them. It. Just open them mm-hmm. till they're flat and leave. And then deny it. Totally deny and it. Then say, I didn't drink that. I don't know, I don't, I don't know what you're I talking about. I only drink Diet Coke. I don't drink that stuff. I love aspartame. And so my point is this that, that, that blaming often comes from this improper view of how God might respond to me. If, my, if, if God's love for me is contingent upon my good behavior, salvation has never been an option. Because what the Bible says is that Jesus loved me while I was still his enemy. And if that's not true, then, then you throw out unconditional love, you throw out selfless sacrifice of Christ, you throw it all out. And so the reality is, even when I'm wrong, I cannot misunderstand or missee that God loves me dearly. I have to see him right. And if I can see him right, and if I can believe those things, then I can own my issues. I don't have to blame someone else. I, even if I hear accusation, I can own my issues. I can own my fault. I can own the, the, the sin. And then... Man, if I can come to the place where I own it. So this is a good place to address, you know, we will use three words that really are are the the breakdowns of sin, which are going to be iniquity, sin, and transgressions. And iniquity, listen, what you just communicated is um, a blamer unwilling to see the sin in their own life. Well, listen, it doesn't go away. It will be passed down to your children and their children until it's dealt with. That's iniquity. Yeah. 
Iniquity is sin that you battle because it was passed to you. And now it is yours to deal with. So listen, parents, let me tell you, if you are a blamer, if you recognize this is an issue in your life and pride is resisting that you deal with it for yourself, then I would plead with you and say, deal with it for your children and their children. Because when we don't deal with sin within our own hearts and within our own lives, we will certainly pass it to our children, which will become their iniquity to deal with. That's absolutely right. And and it's always bigger in your kids. Mm -hmm. The Bible talks about sin as being a seed that when it's full grown, it, it produces death. Its fruit is death. And so this picture of it growing through time, that's how iniquity works. What might be inconvenient in your life or a small thing, let me tell you, it'll be huge in your children mm-hmm. and in their children and in their children. And so you deal with those iniquities. Transgression, it, think of the word transgress. And and so like transcontinental travel, I'm going from one continent to another. Mm-hmm. To transgress means I've crossed over God's laws, God's boundaries. Mm-hmm. I've rebelled against God. And so when we see transgression, it's a willful rebellion. Uh, uh, really, it's a willful rebellion against God's law it, or against his, his instruction, his authority. To break covenant, to break commitment, willingly, knowingly, um, you know, breaking our marriage to transgress, transgress what we have, have committed to one another, knowing that. And so it, it, it's a very willful act. I think that's the right word to use. It, yeah. it willfully does that. Intentional. And then mm-hmm. what's the third word that we were talking about? Iniquity. Sin. Sin and iniquity. So sin is is the the blanket word that really we we begin to divide. And and sin is a part of our world. It's a part of our life because we still live in this fallen world. And so we will always struggle with sin. Not every sin is an iniquity and not every sin is a transgression, but sin will trip us up. It's it's the how the enemy wants to trap us and it is the the thing my flesh desires because um i i tend to think i wake up i don't wake up holier than when i went to sleep i i think everything almost works against me even in my sleep you know i i could wake up in a bad mood because i want more sleep and I want what I want, right? So there's just this this tug when it comes to sin. And so we will battle that. Now, we don't have to be enslaved to that because of what God has given us. But but part of not being enslaved to it is the, the journey of repentance, is the uprooting of and the journey of turning away from sin in my life so I'm not captive to it anymore. Doesn't mean that I won't struggle with sin, but it means that I won't be captive to it. When I was a children's pastor, I would use the analogy in this sense. Um, if if I went into my front yard and decided to um, play baseball with my kids, does that make me a baseball player? No. Um, and if you've seen me play sports, you would laugh. No, it does not, right? And so we have to recognize that because you might sin, but you are a believer, you are a child of God, does not make you a sinner. You are a child of God that would struggle 
or be tripped up by sin. And it is different than the identification or that first moment, that that salvation moment that you have where you accept Christ. You you turn in, the transaction is I'm no longer a sinner, I am now a child of God. And that is the salvation transaction that takes place. And that really is... The, you see, okay, so there's some there's some things that are just perpetually repeated throughout Christian history, um, and they're 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 meant so well. It's such a it, it's a good hearted, you know, we're trying to communicate the right things, but they're so easily misunderstood. There's this idea that, man, I am just this miserable sinner saved by grace. No, we are saved by grace. We were miserable sinners. But if the death and resurrection of Christ did nothing but change my destination, then it falls short of the transformational work Jesus promised. What he promised was that he was going to make us new creations. And the word of God says that that new creation in Christ is unable to sin. Now, sin still happens in my life. Mm-hmm. But it's confined to my flesh. It's confined to who I, to this this body that is still under curse, right? And some of that flesh is my body, my physical body, but it's also my mind. That's why the word tells us that we have to allow our minds to be transformed through the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So that mind is being made new to fit that new creation. The bottom line is when we deal with repentance and sin, the next thing we need to do is we need to make sure that we're looking to Jesus. Jesus is the answer for that sin. It cannot be that I, I stay stuck in these places. What did Jesus say about me? What did he do? And what has he promised me? And those are things that I hold on to. Even when I'm like, like David, David is walking through the consequence of his sin. What was the consequence of his sin? The death of his child. Mm-hmm. And, and he mourned, he fasted, he covered himself in sackcloth, so much so that those around him thought he was going to die. And then when his child dies, David gets up and eats a meal. And the people are like, this guy's lost his mind. And David says, look, I petitioned the Lord, I prayed, I, but this is the consequence of the sin. God is still good. I'm looking. Now, David didn't know to look to Jesus, but he knew to look to the blood because blood was That's the right. atonement of sin. Mm-hmm. And so he pled blood. And we are speaking to an Old Testament story here, and sure. and and rightly so. What we have to recognize is, though I'm a child of God, though I have asked for forgiveness and turned away, does not mean that I'm always rescued from the consequence of my sin. And and we have to recognize that that that's how the Lord works. There are times that we have seen him miraculously rescue people from their the consequence of their sin. But many times we don't see that he removes the consequence from sin. Why is that? We may never know on this side of heaven, but one day we will be face to face with the Lord. And I believe that we will look at everything that his will has accomplished and we will say it is good. Well, Certainly, it'll be just. That's and sure. and so we have to trust the Lord that He knows us, and that He is always working things for our good. And so it may not always make sense, but we also have to recognize that when we don't see the removal of consequence of our sin, doesn't mean that we 
aren't forgiven, it also doesn't mean that the Lord isn't able to to grow us from what we walked through or that he doesn't have blessing for us. Right, that we're not in God's favor. Sometimes the consequence of sin, the, you know, hey man, consequences come with all actions in life, good and bad consequences, and the Lord allows those things. So we just trust him in the process of repentance. That's right. And this is a great place for us to close as we have begun this conversation of repentance and we have began to define sin, which is is the big big step here. And so with that, I want to thank you for joining us today. We would love to hear your thoughts about today's topic. You can send us an email at reallife@visitlife.org to give us your feedback. Real Life is a weekly podcast ministry of Life Foursquare Church in Decatur, Illinois. We hope you have a great week and look forward to continuing our conversation next time.